And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Well, 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 well. It is Thursday. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hud here. Deep in the super secret underground bunker at World Headquarters. Shaking things up just a little bit. Let's have a little music to go along with this show. 53 days without incident. You can see that over my shoulder if you are watching live. If you're listening to this as a podcast, we do... uh, invite you to check out the show live on our YouTube channel Monday through Thursday at noon central. We are just three followers away from 1,000 on our Instagram account. And if you are interested in following us on any of the social media accounts, uh, you can find us by Searching out sci-fi for me. That's with a number four. All right. So let's get into it, shall we? Let's uh, let's start uh, with a couple of uh, very quick housekeeping bits of business. If you want a discount over at superherostuff.com, we've got that for you, taken care of. Ten percent off when you use the promo code sci-fi for me. Ten. And if you want to uh, support us in ways other than just giving us likes and shares and comments, we do appreciate those. But if you want to throw money our way, we've got a Subscribestar account, $5 and $10 levels. And at some point, I'm going to get in there and update some things and make sure that we get all of that um, squared away so you actually have something that's worth your time there so we can do some updates and whatnot um and of course while we are live uh, you are always welcome to throw a comment in the chat widget and uh if you want to do something as far as like a super chat or something like that, you can. Although YouTube keeps 55% of that, so I'm, I'm not encouraging people to do super chats anymore. Uh, yesterday did an unboxing. Stephen J. Mitchell sent this book published by Critical Blast, Bulletproof Origins. I was not thorough in this unboxing. We have stickers that came along with the book. So, oh wait, that way. There we go. Bulletproof stickers. So those those are a little bit of fun. Um, so that came in the envelope yesterday. And if you want one of our stickers, I mean, that might as well uh, move into that segue there. Uh, you can send us a self-addressed stamped envelope. Sci-Fi for me, 1503 Main Street, number 305, Grandview, Missouri, 64030. And uh, Sci-Fi Snob in the chat, what should you say? Anything you like as long as it fits the narrative of the moment. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, okay. Let's start 
uh, yesterday. A uh, lot of stuff happened yesterday. Um, but let's start with the Scribe Awards because that one's going to be a little bit less controversial than the other topics we've got today at hand. Uh, the 2020 Scribe Award winners were announced yesterday. Jonathan Mayberry, the president of the organization, uh, making the announcements during a video stream on Facebook. International Association of Media tie-in writers uh, announced the winners for the Scribe Awards Best Adapted Novel, General and Speculative, Alita Battle Angel by Pat Cadigan. Uh, Best Audio Drama, Doctor Who, Ten Doctor Adventures, The Creeping Death by Roy Gill. Best Graphic Novel, Blade Runner 2019, Los Angeles by Michael Green and Mike Johnson. Best Original Novel in the General Category, The Bitterest Pill by Reed Farrell Coleman. Best Original Novel, Speculative. It was a tie between Batman and the Court of Owls by Greg Cox and Star Trek The Next Generation Collateral Damage by David Mack both of whom we have interviewed on this very program very, very long time ago. Best Short Story, Cutter and Raz by Chris A. Jackson, and Best Young Adult Middle Grade Bug, Warhammer Adventures, Attack of the Necron by Kevin Scott. So that over on our website, scififormeat.com, which also has the very biggest... Largest, hugest, most accurate, most up-to-date, most current list of conventions that you will find anywhere online. Mrs. Boss uh, works diligently to uh, <laughs> email you the sticker. Uh, I'm not quite sure that it works that way, but uh, we could we could try. Um, uh, I mean. Uh, yeah, I, let, let me get back to you on that one. Uh, hello, Robert, in the chat. But yes, we do have uh, we do have the largest list of conventions anywhere on the planet. Uh, right now, it's sitting at 2061. Uh, Mrs. Boss has been updating the calendar, maintaining the list, and of course, uh, we do uh, provide pretty much on a daily basis updates on the conventions as they change their schedules, as they uh, cancel and reschedule and postpone and all that good stuff. So yesterday we got some packages. Uh, I got myself a set of bags and boards so I can catch up on bagging and boarding some of my comic books that are sitting in totes. So that plus uh, the sunglasses that I found. These are not really sunglasses, sunglasses. They're these 3D glasses that came out when uh, when The Force Awakens came out. But it'll count. It'll count. Uh, this this has me ready to uh, to appear on one of Peter Samedi's uh, bag and board streams at some point. Hello, Cam1138. Welcome. All right. So let's uh, let's open up some let's open up some packages. And then we'll get into our topic full speed ahead. This one coming from, um, I believe, Smith Publicity. Let's see what this one is. Let's rip that open there. For those listening on the podcast version of this, we do need to provide sound effects. So, you know, paper rustling and, and all of that other stuff. Oh, 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 this is something I've been looking forward to. All right, so... 
This is uh, Blu-ray. This is available on Blu-ray and DVD. James Cameron's Story of Science Fiction. This is a documentary series um, on DVD and Blu-ray out July 28th. Uh, the series originally aired on AMC Networks in 2018 as part of the AMC Visionaries series. It's hosted by James Cameron. Features interviews with the who's who of science fiction movies and television. Uh, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Ridley Scott, Christopher Nolan, Will Smith, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis. Uh, so this is coming out at the end of the month. And I hope... I, I did not see this when it came out, but I hope that it does a better job uh, doing uh, presenting the history of science fiction uh, than the Sci-Fi Channel did here not too long ago with their with their program. So, um, uh, no, we're not going to do a we're not going to do a washing the dishes stream Sci-Fi snob, but I don't think that it's worth. Uh, a specific stream just for an unboxing uh, because I don't think that that's uh, got as much value as combining it into other others uh, topics of conversation so I'm just going to do this um, some of it is to give people a little bit of time to get in here uh, to see the program before we get into our main topic so let's open this box this is from Jonathan Rinsler also known as J.W. Rensler. He, of course, of the behind-the-scenes Star Wars books, uh, also did the adaptation of George Lucas's original Star Wars scripts for, I believe, Dark Horse? Was it Dark Horse that did that? I think it was. But he sent us a book. <clears throat> His new book. It's got bubble wrap on it, Mrs. Boss. Bubble wrap. Hush. Bubble wrap. Hush. Lots of bubble wrap. I asked if you wanted to pick some up while we were at Home Depot last time. There was a whole roll there. And at some point, maybe we'll have to go back and get it. But, you know, we're 53 days without an incident, so... Maybe I don't need it. Uh, don't tempt fate. Don't tempt fate. All right. Uh, bubble wrap. There. This book is all up. It is a fictionalized account of the early days of the space race between uh, America and other government entities. Hey, look at that. He's got, they've got our planet on the back of the book. See that? All right. Uh, Best-selling Star Wars author and former Lucasfilm creative executive J.W. Rensler combines actual and speculative history in a sweeping recreation of the dramatic race to develop rockets, dominate the skies over Earth, and explore our solar system, an epic that rages through World War II and culminates with the Apollo 11 mission to the moon. And he did say um, that this is hopefully the first of a series of books. So um, Sci-Fi Snob wants us to email him some bubble wrap because he loves popping it. Um, you know what we could do is we could record this as a sound file and make the make the MP3 available. I guess that would be something. Maybe. Possibly. All right. 
Robert says, Nazi, uh, NASA is run by Nazi alien lizard people. True fact I found on the internet. It's always aliens. It's always aliens, right? All right, what is this one? This one, this one is something that I have been looking forward to because uh, where's the... Where's the pull tab? There's a pull tab on this. Oh, Barnes & Noble, you failed. All right. This one I ordered myself. This is not a gimme. It's not a review copy that anybody sent. I noticed, I guess it was Robert Meyer Burnett who posted, uh, which is where the first place that I saw it, uh, Criterion did a special Barnes and Noble had a special sale on uh, Criterion editions and so I got myself a copy of War of the Worlds this is the George Powell novel uh, George Powell movie rather based on the novel uh, 1953 85 minutes color what they've done is they went back to the original Technicolor negatives uh, and remastered this movie in, I want to say in 4K, and uh, and put it, put this thing together. So there's all sorts of commentary on it, uh, extra features. I'm really looking forward to this. This one I'm excited about, so that'll be fun. Um, a YouTube video of popping bubble wrap, Sci-Fi Snob suggests. <laughs> uh, you know what? That might not... That might not be a bad idea. It certainly would be more interesting than some things that I've seen on the internet of late. Uh, Lies. That, that's everything. That's everything that we got in the mail. All right, so mail call's done. Now, let us get to our topic. Because uh, on the face of it, uh, you might ask why we would be talking about this but in in the long run you look at how technology is used these days you look at how gadgets and software and artificial intelligence and algorithms and whatnot can be uh, purposed for various different tasks and there is always the risk that something will go wrong. And science fiction is replete with stories of technology going wrong. You go all the way back to Asimov with iRobot and, and that series. You look at um, various different uh, stories, you know, The Terminator, 2001 A Space Odyssey, where, where technology becomes part of the problem, not part of the solution. And I have said for a number of years now that social media in general is part of the problem, is not part of the solution. I think, uh, I think too many people at the top have bought into their own press at just how great and grand and wonderful social media is. And then you have situations like this, where this is a NBC News report, Biden, Gates, Musk, Bitcoin scam breaches some of the world's most prominent Twitter accounts. This happened yesterday. A lot of people start, started suddenly chattering about the fact that a number of verified accounts were posting this, uh, this 
Bitcoin thing. I'm giving back. Uh, you send us uh, X amount of money and we'll send you back twice as much. And here's the Bitcoin address. And it was uh, across Twitter, various different uh verified accounts got hit with this Barack Obama being one of them Jeff Bezos Joe Biden Elon Musk and of course in in very quick uh, amount of time people realized that this was a scam but in 30 in in probably a good half an hour uh, this was a uh, uh, 150 200 several hundred thousand dollars were put into this thing. Uh, and over on Vice, they've got a few pretty good articles detailing exactly what happened here. Uber was hit, Apple was hit, and even some of the, the cryptocurrency platforms, Coinbase, Gemini, Binance, apparently all got hit as well. Uh, SpaceX, uh, well, uh, uh, Elon Musk. And basically, this created a situation where Twitter sat there and said all of the verified accounts can't post anything. They, they, they turned them off for a little while in order to try to find what was going on and shut down what was happening. But turns out, according to, according to this report, it was somebody on the inside who facilitated this hack using administrative tools at Twitter. And it says here, um, one of the sources tells Motherboard at, at Vice, we used a rep that literally done all the work for us. Um, I'm going to ignore the poor grammar. Second source added they paid the Twitter insider. Motherboard granted the source's anonymity to speak candidly about a security incident. A Twitter spokesperson told Motherboard that the company is still investigating whether the employee hijacked the accounts themselves or gave hackers access to the tool. Um, okay, one, one issue that I have with Vice giving anonymity to hackers who essentially committed fraud, a wire fraud, um, this, is, this is where you get into a little bit of a gray area in terms of the ethics of this. These are people who committed a crime. Uh, the, these are people who uh, stole money and they used uh, internet resources to do it. And, and my layman's understanding is that's wire fraud. And if you're going to protect the anonymity of these people for your story, I don't, I, that, that, gets, that gets kind of dodgy. Yeah, we need the information. Yeah, we need the story. We need to be able to find out what exactly happened. But uh, what's the responsibility for the media if you know the people or if you have contact with the people who committed the crime, are you protecting them or are you, uh, are you an accessory at that point? I don't, want, I, I don't know what the legal ramifications are for this kind of thing. But one of the things that did come out of this was a screenshot of this control panel from inside Twitter. 
Now, if you'll recall, a couple of years ago, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, testified before Congress that they don't shadow ban anyone. They don't have any blacklists. They don't have any any verboten accounts or anything like that. This graphic, if it is true, if it is accurate, seems to put the lie to that. And whatever the front-facing, public-facing policy is that Twitter puts out as far as their terms of service and their, you know, there are some accounts and there are some topics that are not going to trend because hate speech, uh, uh, you know, racism, violence, you know, inciting crime and that kind of thing. And I get that. But when your CEO says we don't have blacklists and this graphic shows they have blacklists, whatever you want to call it out in public, that's just semantics. The idea, the concept of a blacklist, the concept of any kind of list of topics or accounts or hashtags or any of those things, that goes against what... Dorsey told the congressional committees that they don't do. Uh, and what I'm really interested is, you know, what I'm really interested in is this one here marked protected. Who's protected? What accounts, what topics are protected? That's my question. Because this gets into the overall broader uh, discussion about you look at what happened around uh, you know, The Last Jedi or Captain Marvel or The Last of Us 2 or any of, those, uh, any of those discussions that happened online where certain people with certain opinions were not allowed to share those opinions uh, without risk of consequences to their accounts. And it's, you know, whether you like those things or not is immaterial to the practice of compromising those accounts, uh, censoring those accounts, because if you're, if you're going to live in an environment that, you know, we're democratizing communications in some way, then, uh, you know, if you if and 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 this gets into the to the whole section two thirty of the of the Communications Decency Act, publisher or platform, and if you have accounts that are protected, if you have accounts that are, and this has to be this has to be an accounts list because you have bounced, you have inactive, you have protected. The inactive would seem to indicate. This is my guess. I don't know, but it would seem to indicate that inactive would be these are accounts that are no longer being used. Protected would seem to indicate that there are accounts at Twitter that are protected in some way, shape, or form. What that protection looks like is anybody's guess. But then you have uh, elected officials starting to get involved in this because this is... Uh, this is a concern, especially in the run-up to the election, uh, because we can because we can get into that. Um, Senator Ron Wyden, uh, I believe, oh, I'm not sure where he's from. Is he from? I don't know if he's from Wyoming or Colorado. Some, I think he's out west, but I'm not sure. Uh, in, in another Vice article here, in September of 2018, shortly before he testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee, I met privately with Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. 
During that conversation, Mr. Dorsey told me the company was working on end-to-end encrypted direct messages. It has been nearly two years since our meeting, and Twitter DMs are still not encrypted, leaving them vulnerable to employees who abuse their internal access to the company's systems and hackers who gain unauthorized access. That puts another piece into this conversation, into this situation, because... If someone gained access to the Twitter account for Joe Biden, let's say, as the candidate for uh, Widens from Oregon, thank you. Um, if if somebody gets access to Joe Biden's direct messages, or Barack Obama's direct messages, or even uh, Donald Trump's direct messages, or anybody. Fill in the blank. Grace Randolph, Elon Musk. I mean, Elon Musk certainly would seem to be uh, an interest, uh, a person of interest at this point, given the lawsuit that Johnny Depp has is is uh, pursuing right now in in the UK. Uh, the information that's coming out of there, and of course, you know, Obama and and Biden. Uh, being persons of interest because of the election. But see, this this goes back into the Section 230 protection because if this kind of thing is possible and if it is proven that Twitter, and, and Jack Dorsey has even admitted that Twitter leans left, but if this platform wants to lean one direction or another, and protect certain accounts over another, then you have First Amendment election law implications into that. So, uh, yes, yeah, sci-fi snobs DMs. No, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I want to get into that, the uh, into that rabbit hole at all either. Now, our DMs. You know, fortunately, we don't have, uh, we don't have one of those little blue check marks. But our DMs are pretty, pretty tame. You know, hey, we'd like to do an interview with you. That kind of thing. But if you're getting into this, this is this is where technology becomes the tool by which, you know, we start leaning into the dystopian future that science fiction has warned us about. I don't know how many times. Um, and then, of course, we've got uh, uh, Senator Josh Hawley sending this letter to Jack Dorsey and saying, basically, um, this is this is an interest. Uh, this is this is a problem. He says, I am concerned that this event may represent not merely a coordinated set of separate hacking incidents, but rather a successful attack on the security of Twitter itself. As you know, millions of your users rely on your service, not just to tweet publicly, but also to communicate privately through your direct message service. A successful attack on your system servers represents a threat to all your users, private privacy and data security. And that's that's a question as far as uh, you know, your your private messages and e emails and stuff. But you already know that Google's reading all your email anyway. You know, we know that your privacy has been compromised uh, by all of these accounts that that we use in social media. And I've said it from the from the get go. You know, once Google buys Facebook and the algorithm reads everybody's social media posts, that is the day that Skynet is born and the rockets start flying. Uh, 
but the the overall implications of this for us as a society is very troubling. Uh, I've said before, we are now currently sitting at the at the threshold, at the intersection of Animal Farm, 1984, Fahrenheit 451, and Brave New World. Uh, Brave New World gave us uh, a dystopian future where you've got people that are so drugged up that they are compliant with any policy. And social media is that drug. Social media has us controlled and compliant to a certain point where people will just go along to get along. Um, yeah, Robert, is a good point. Dystopia just dropped like a ton of bricks on Hong Kong and Twitter, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood said nothing. Absolutely. Hong Kong is just the, the, the one of the more recent victims of this. Uh, but I also think to, to flip that around on that point, I also think that without, without social media, without the Internet, a lot of us wouldn't know what's going on in Hong Kong. So it's not all 100% bad. A lot of it is how it's being used. But a majority of social media does not lend itself to a productive society, I don't think. And when you look at what what's going on right now and you look at the concerns, you know, the the idea here that you know, it's and and, and it's not just, you know, I want to be able to post pictures of my cat. This is a communications tool that has election implications has has societal implications you know the the black lives matter movement is a political movement antifa is a political movement um whether or not they're also domestic terrorist organizations they're still political movements and it is one of those things where we are exactly exactly robert we are giving up i don't think we're being robbed of our freedoms i think we're willingly giving up our freedoms and what is that that uh, that that uh, benjamin franklin said one time the you know people that are willing to give up freedom for security will eventually have neither freedom nor security if we continue to give up our rights as a society then we will no longer have the freedom to complain or make those peaceful transitions when the government does something that we don't like. Um, and that's where you get in and you know, that that's when we become the hunger games. That's when we become, uh, whatever comes out of the Skynet war. Uh, you look at anything going on in, you know, yeah, Planet of the Apes. At some point, the technology needs to be kept in check. And it is only as good as how it's programmed. It's only as good as the people that run it. And we've seen over and over and over and over again that the people that are running Silicon Valley are garbage people. The people that are running Google, the people that are running Twitter, the people that are running Facebook. Um, and it's not necessarily that they're lizard people. They're just terrible people on the face of it from everything that we've seen. 
and interviews and and congressional testimony and all of these different things these are these are not good people and they're in charge of these technologies that have access to so much of your personal information um, I cringe and I get a I, I get a sick feeling in my stomach every time I see these people doing these 10-year challenges you know or the face app stuff what do you look like when you know what did you look like then and what do you look like now you know to post your post your graduation photos or what do you look like as a as a female this is one it's data mining which gets into uh, identity hacking uh, but it also normalizes behavior that otherwise might not be considered normal. You know, we we get into social engineering with some of this stuff. And and that takes us back to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It could not be reformed soon enough for my taste. We need to have a really hard examination of how Section 230 is applied to these to these companies. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, all of them. They need to be examined because especially Facebook and Twitter, they are no longer acting as a non-entity platform, an impartial channel through which people post their material. It is, you know, Facebook and, and Twitter are by censoring and by... Uh, by categorizing things and, and deciding what can be posted and what cannot be posted, they have become publishers. And they are no longer, to my, to my thinking, they are no longer eligible <clears throat> for protection under Section 230. Uh, it, yeah, Sci-Fi Snob has it exactly. The face change apps, all of that stuff changes the facial recognition, uh, artificial intelligence. We're learning how to create your face in some in some way, shape, or form, that we can fake your identity somehow. We can take your identity. Uh, you can become. Uh, we can become you. Is is what they're doing. And and the mask thing is is the same way. Let's see how we can you know can let's condition people. And I don't want to get into you know sounding like tinfoil hat territory or anything. But we are conditioning people to be compliant. Um, you know, the mask thing, whatever you, whatever you think, and I get it. My, my sister's a nurse. I know the virus is bad. I know this kind of thing is not, uh, not great. Uh, and I know, you know, precautions need to be taken, but when you have reports coming out of Florida where every single test is positive at, at, at various different testing facilities, you know, 100% across the board, one right after the other, after the other, after the other, in some 30 or 40 different testing facilities, that's statistically impossible. And when you come back and say, oops, we made an error, well, that oops making an error is determining policy. And when, you're po when, you're, when your underlying data is wrong, or if your underlying data is reported wrong, and having been in the media for 30 years, I know how the media can manipulate information to, to promote a particular narrative. And this, this narrative 
is being used, I think, for political purposes. And I think it is social engineering to the, to the degree of let's see where we can go with this and let's see what behaviors that we can modify and let's see how we can get people to comply. And I think it does directly impact not only the elections, but how we interact with people, how we interact with companies, you know, the whole cashless society. We want to order everything online because we're not getting out in the stores. You know, we want we we don't use we don't use coin anymore. We don't use cash anymore. All of it's trackable. And I got into it over the weekend. I, I mentioned you know, somebody putting words in my mouth when we were having a discussion about it, people were asking me and I would answer and they would come back, you know, reflect that answer back to me, but they're putting words in my mouth saying something completely different from what I said. I think this is more, it's, it's less of a health issue and more of an information issue. And I think the media and the politicians are using the, the health crisis for political gain. That's that's my thinking. But this Twitter thing, you know, you look at that and and you you just know if they had access to direct messages from some of these people, just imagine what's about to come out. You think that it's bad now. We are in the process with you and and it, and it really does feel to me like uh <laughs> by comic books with cash i i you know i i even talked to mrs boss about this the other day about um putting together a cash stash basically of just saying okay we're just gonna let's just put together a little uh thing on the side where you know if we have to go off the grid then we can go off the grid i don't i don't i hope that it didn't get that bad i hope we don't get into hunger games territory with any of this stuff but it really does feel like there are a number of things coming to a head when this when this whole outbreak started i uh i looked at mindy and i said we are living in the middle of a of a of a Tom Clancy novel. And it if you look at the structure of a Tom Clancy novel, there are all sorts of little threads and little bits and pieces that start out and you wonder, okay, where is this going to go? How does this have any connection with all of this other stuff? And one little bit leads to another. It's a butterfly effect type of thing in his plots. And it really does feel like we are at a at a point where a number of narrative threads are starting to pay off and not necessarily in a good way. We have the cancel culture thing coming to a head. We have, you know, uh, um, uh, what's her name? Ari Bryce, uh, Ari, Ari Bryce. Who, who was it that, uh, that just resigned from the New York times? Um, all of that coming out. We have this bit with Twitter getting hacked. Now it feels like there are, bits and pieces of things that are all coming together at the end. And, and it, it's really hard to kind of talk about this stuff from, from the standpoint of where's it going to go without sounding like a, a conspiracy theorist. You know, it, it's, it's a challenge. My concern on the Twitter thing is, 
if they could hack this many people this easily, and I get it, it's it's an inside thing, but you look at this this next article here from from Vice, and they they're talking here about you know the conspiracy theory and 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 how this uh, creates this idea. You know, you look at the screenshot with the blacklist, and a lot of people are looking at this as proof that there are blacklists, there are shadow bans, and even after Vice goes through all of these articles about just what happened, they're still apologists of a sort for Twitter basically saying, well, yeah, Twitter has these lists and they manage these accounts and, and whatnot, but it's not a blacklist, not really, even though it kind of is. I mean, if you decide that there are certain topics that cannot be talked about on your platform, then that's a blacklist. Whatever you want to call it out in public, if it's a managed list or if it's a, a you know trending trending tool or you, you curating or whatever, it's still a blacklist. These things we don't talk about. These hashtags we don't allow. These topics we're not going to let you see. That's a blacklist. Depend. It's, it's no, there's no two ways about it. And if, if these platforms don't change their policies, one way or the other, they either, they're either going to be publishers or they're going to be platforms. They've got to make their choice. They have to make their decision. They have to make those decisions public, and they have to sit there and say, okay, this is who we are moving forward. Because the government is going to get involved in this. And whatever political party you, you're a member of, however you vote, whatever, whatever government is in charge at the moment, this is not where we want things to go. Uh, speaking for myself as a conservative, I want the government to be as small as possible and as unobtrusive as possible and get out of my pocket and get out of my life and don't tell me, don't tell me what to do. I don't care who's in charge of the government. I don't care what agency it is. I don't care what party's over there. I don't care about any any of the of the political affiliations of the people who are in charge. I want them to leave me alone. And if any government entity gets involved in this kind of thing, they will make a mess of things. Look at the healthcare industry. Look at the uh, the FDA. Government is not the best option for running things. Government is good for breaking things. Government is good for tying things up in red tape. Uh, I mean, you you make the argument, do you want the same people in charge of the DMV that are in charge of your health care? No. The government, for me, the government should provide national security you you wage war and you keep your people safe outside of that stay out of my life stay out of my business don't tell me how to live don't tell me what to do um does that make me more libertarian than conservative i don't know maybe don't care 
But the technology that we are dealing with here doesn't doesn't look at your political party. Yeah, Twitter leans left. Yes, Facebook leans left. Okay, fine. But the technology ex- itself, how it's used, that has an effect on everybody regardless of your party, regardless of your lifestyle, regardless of your upbringing, where you live, how you live, what kind of job you have. This is how we get to Fahrenheit 451. This is how we get to 1984. News speak. We've always been at war with East Asia. This is 1984 stuff here. And it is, you know, it can be terrifying to think of the broader implications of this. If it has an impact on elections, local, regional, state, federal, whatever, that affects policies, that affects judiciary choices and agency choice, you know, agency directors and that kind of thing. That changes policy. That has an effect on the citizens. It has an effect on national security. It has an effect on uh, trade trade deals. It has an effect on foreign policy. If the technology that we're using now is used in a way to negatively influence or have some sort of an impact on lifestyle choices, on how we interact with other people even, this social engineering part of it has broader implications. And that leads us down the path to the Hunger Games, to Divergent, to the Terminator. Um, what other, you know, Brave, Brave New, I already mentioned Brave New World. But we've seen, you know, Fahrenheit 451, it's not just burning books. We're, we're, we're canceling people. You're not allowed to say that. You're not allowed to think that. You're not allowed to be that person. If you're, you know, we see it now with, uh, with the complaints about casting in Hollywood. You know, trans characters can only be played by trans performers. Okay, it's acting. You're pretending for a living. You know, Scarlett Johansson is not a Russian super spy. All right, Mark Ruffalo is not actually affected by gamma radiation and turns into this giant brute that's green. It's called acting. It's performance. And, you know, we see it with the, the voice, the various different voice actors that are saying, well, my character is black and I'm not, so I'm not going to voice this character anymore. It is troubling to me that a handful of people and the effect on the voting for world president, yeah, that's coming. I, I you know, this this whole one world government thing, as nice as it as it's presented in in uh, in stories like Star Trek and whatnot, it's not feasible. Uh, have you met humanity lately? Uh, I don't. I don't think we're ever going to get to that one world, one world government or anything, except at the point of a gun. If we get to that point, we will have been forced 
to get to that point. And that's what that's what my concern is, that a lot of this technology that we use nowadays has gotten out of hand. There are not enough controls on it. There's not it, it's it's too big. Um, it's like it's like when the government re went after AT&T and split them up into the little baby bells uh, back in what the 80s or 90s. You know, monopolies are bad in some cases. Uh, Facebook. Um, yes. Uh, Santa Claus is real. Santa Claus is a time lord. Uh, so um, I do I do think um, that there are some exceptions to that. But no, the Hulk, the Hulk is not real, sadly. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's, <sighs> I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you sit and you wonder how people could be dragged into believing a certain way. And then, you know, I go back and I look and see, well, the schools have set us up for this. Since Woodrow Wilson's time, this has been part of the plan. Indoctrinate, and you know, you you read Saul Alinsky's book, the, and I and it, it's it's hard it's hard for me to get it's hard for me to separate because this this being a genre site. I have said I don't want to get into the politics of any particular thing and I'm not advocating a certain particular thing. But from a technology standpoint and from a dystopian future standpoint, I think this discussion needs to happen. And I think that from that aspect of things, we're looking at the dystopian future happening now in real time. And I think that there are not enough people who understand 1984 was a warning. There are not enough people that understand that Animal Farm was a warning. Um, and and it's not, you know, those two books are, are not pro-capitalism. They're not pro-democracy. But they are certainly a warning against the kind of government that some people want to set up here in the United States. And if that happens, if that socialist, fascist government is given any kind of a, of a strong foothold in the United States, then the world is lost. That's, that's my, my thinking. Um, we are, then we are in Hunger Games territory. And no amount of good intentions or, you know, thinking that we're going to get to the Star Trek utopia, it ain't going to happen. Um, the Star Trek utopia has never been a practical thing anyway. Certain, certain arrangements, certain points of view look good on paper. But when you introduce the human race to it, when you introduce people to it, all bets are off. Because some people want to help other people. Some people want to do good with technology. Some people want to do good with uh, 
their opportunities that technology brings that uh you know prosperity and and resources you know give them those opportunities to help people and then there are other people that just want to watch the world burn and right now there's a question on who's going to win that race One of those things you're going to have to keep an eye on. So not to be a Debbie Downer or anything going into the weekend, but this is this is a concern. This is one of those things where it just... I, I, just don't, I don't know. I don't know. But I guess one one thing that did one I don't know a positive that did come out of this Ryan Johnson's Twitter account is gone. See, you stay through the end, and there's a payoff, folks. Uh, Ryan Johnson's Twitter account apparently has been deleted. And I've seen a couple of different discussions about this, and um, I don't know if it's... Uh, I've, I've seen two, two versions of the story here. One was you know, him being a blue check mark. His account got hacked as everybody else. Uh, and when all of the blue check marks came back, Ryan Johnson deleted his account. I've seen that story. I've also seen the story that Ryan Johnson's account got hacked and whoever hacked it deleted it. Um, I don't know which one is true. I have not seen evidence one way or the other yet. But it does appear that Ryan Johnson is no longer on Twitter and it might or might not have been his idea. So whether whether or not you feel that's a good thing, um, that's I'm going to leave that to you. I'll leave everyone to have their own uh, their own thoughts about that. I have I have my thoughts about it, and I, certainly we can get into that on uh, on Friday uh, during um, the Ranker Pit. We can talk about it a little bit there. But yeah, it looks like <clears throat> looks like Ryan Johnson's gone. Of course, he might be back. He might get he might come back at some point. If Twitter if this is if this is the result of the hack. Uh, then I'm pretty sure that Twitter will be able to help him restore his account. If he's decided to just delete it himself, then, you know, that's his choice and he can do what he wants. I mean, Sean Gordon, Sean Gordon Murphy just did it. Um, people people leave Twitter all, uh, all the time. I, I deleted my own personal account here a couple of years ago. So it's... Uh, it is what it is. Um, yeah, getting information about his next blockbuster movie. I guess we'll just have to wait for the for the trade magazines to to interview him and and maybe he'll talk about his next blockbuster movie 
in and in and around all of the questions still about uh, about the Last Jedi because he won't shut up about it. Not that that matters or anything, right? Okay, so uh, let's take care here. A couple of things. If you like this kind of content, um, I'm not sure what's wrong with you, but you can <laughs> support us. Give us a give us a thumbs up. Uh, the The chat's been very active today. Thanks very much for your participation. If you want to uh, support us financially, we do have a, an account at Subscribestar, and we have. Uh, a discount code over at superherostuff.com and that you could use uh, sci-fi for me 10 will get you 10% off and of course if you want a sticker you can send a self-addressed stamped envelope sci-fi for me 1503 main street number 305 grandview missouri 64030 and there's all of the different social media accounts down there on the bottom uh, where you can find sci-fi for me and if you have a book or a comic book or a, a film or something that you would like for us to consider for review, uh, you can send it to that address as well, and we will add it to the list. I just finished Brimstone Angels, which is a, a, a Neverwinter Dungeons & Dragons novel uh, from a while ago, uh, so I'll be putting out a review of that. We're going through, very slowly going through the pile, the review pile, of all of these different books that we've had dating back to 2012. Uh, so uh, so we'll get through it eventually. Uh, Mr. Harvey has a few books on his, uh, on his table uh, to review, and I'm trying to get through a few of them here myself, and so uh, we'll get through that. Uh, anyway, C rating today. Not enough reading review chat. Well, you know, Sci-Fi Snob, you know, it's it's just one of those things. I have to I have to balance things out. We have to balance all of the different sources for material. Um, but I do appreciate everybody being here. Thanks very much for watching. Those of you who are listening. Uh, we do appreciate you listening to the show. You can watch Monday through Thursday, noon central, live on our YouTube channel. And in the meantime, we are working on lining up guests for next week. Uh, Thursday, Peter Samedi from Alterna Comics will be here. And uh, we're waiting to hear back uh, from a couple of other invites that have gone out. My hope is eventually we, hit the, we, get, we get up to speed enough that most of these hours are interviews and conversations and fewer of me just ranting for an hour. So that's the goal. If you have suggestions for interview guests, uh, send us an email, let us know, send us feedback. If you'd like, uh, you can leave us a comment or you can send us a note live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And that's going to do it for us this hour. Thanks very much. We will be back with more later. This has been a presentation of sci-fi for me radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.